Hello, hello. Is anybody there? Hi, are you able to hear me? Yes, I can. Hi. Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm well. Thank you. Well, first of all, I want to thank you so much for your time. I'm really excited to get to chat with you a little bit and get to know more about you and your work. So can you tell me about where you're from and uh, what it was like starting out as a creative? When did you discover creativity? Um, okay, so I was born in Bangladesh and then um, I came to the U.S. when I was about six months old. Um, originally, my family was in New York for a little bit, but then eventually we made our way to Atlantic City. Um, and then I guess like the majority of like my creative work would start when um, we moved from Atlantic City to Northfield, New Jersey, um, about 15 minutes away. And this was like right after 9-11. Um, mm. So um, and it was like an all white town at the time. Um, so, you know, a lot of my work is about like, you know, not being accepted by white people and um, also just not being as accepted at home because I would want to like, you know, fit in with the white kids and everything. Um, mm -hmm. So I would say that even though I don't think I really would consider myself a creative back then because I just like, you know, didn't really like myself a lot back then. Um, I think that I would say that I started identifying as a creative when I was in college at UNC Chapel Hill. And I had um, some of my professors tell me that they actually thought I was like talented and they wanted to see me like, you know, continue to write about my life, even though like, you know, growing up, um, I didn't think any of like my stories mattered. So I'm really grateful that mm. I had like the mentorship of those professors. So. Oh, that's wonderful to hear because I do empathize with those feelings of, you know, I grew up in Wyoming, a very uh, Mormon community and, and being one of very few brown kids there was it, it makes you feel immediately like you're you're on your toes the whole time and, and kind of looking all over the place. But given the context of, you know, 9-11, the turn of the millennium, it was a very weird time for for brown people and especially in the areas where you were. Do you remember some of the some of the things that that made you feel that otherness more than anything at the time? Well, people were very blatantly racist, like, you know, mm. especially with like all the stuff, all the coverage of like 9-11. Yeah. Um, people would like actively like call me a terrorist and they would associate like Hinduism with terrorism and they would say things like go back to India or like, you know, there was like a 7-Eleven in our town run by um, Indian people and then they'd always tell me and my family to go back to 7-Eleven. So it was, mm. um, and I say this like matter of factly now because it was just so common back then. Um, so mm. I feel, um, you know, so some sympathy for that younger version of myself because those things are, shouldn't be like normal, mm -hmm. um, be like heard commonly by people. Um, and then also um, like even, I don't know if this is like the result of 9-11 or not, but even when I was like in grad school, like, um, you know, I was at Virginia Tech and it was like a primarily white place. Like people would t speak to me really slowly because they assumed that I was like an international student who didn't grow up here. So, mm. um, you know, like I said, I say these like very casually because it is something that I kind of had to grow accustomed to in order to survive being a brown woman back then. And um, I always kind of knew even in the creative world that there would be like some degree of like racism. So. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, uh, you know, with such honesty because it is uh, a difficult thing to talk about and, and perhaps even recollect. So I really appreciate that because it gives us context. But for your time at Virginia Tech, were you studying writing or were you studying something else at the time? 
MFA back then. Um, I was there from 2015 to 2018. Mm. So, okay. Did the experience get any better? Were you able to find your footing culturally or, or was it always in this kind of, uh, this kind of energy there? Um, so, okay. So I went there after I went to UNC Chapel Hill, which I already, you know, UNC, I thought it was like pretty white, you know, cause we're in the South, we're in North Carolina. And I thought Virginia tech would be similar to that. Um, and I should have like done more of my research. I was like too excited of a 22 year old just mm. to be like, you know, go to grad school and stuff. <laughs> um, but in my cohort, I was like the only female, which was very unfortunate. And wow. then also like the English building was like in the middle of nowhere from campus. Um, and it was, I would say like probably the ugliest building. I know that's like not very <laughs> nice to say, but like, and like I said, and then also like just being in workshops in general, like, you know, through undergrad and especially during grad school, um, I didn't expect people to like sympathize or like understand what it would be like to be brown. Um, mm -hmm. Like I remember one time I was talking about political asylum in one of my poems and someone thought I was talking about a mental asylum. So, you know, it would be things wow. like that. Um, yeah. I um, but anyway, by the end of my time there, I still wasn't very happy, but I do think it was probably the best decision for me out of undergrad to go directly into an MFA. Um, I do think that, and especially like being so miserable there to give me a lot of time to focus on mm -hmm. my work. So I do think that my current book probably wouldn't exist if I didn't spend those years at Virginia Tech, even though they yeah. were very difficult. It seems like uh, across the years, cultural shock has been kind of a running through line, not just from these white spaces that, you know, you were in, but even being back home seemed to be a place where you didn't feel comfortable. So coming into Brown Girl Chromatography, which is a, a beautiful title for a collection, can you tell me how you start putting this together or when you knew that this was going to be a project that you were going to put your attention toward? So when I first entered grad school, I don't think that I entered it with the mentality of like, you know, that I was like, um, you know, like from the very first workshop, it wasn't like I was intentionally writing poems with the goal of them all ending up in a book, because I think that would like, you know, put too much pressure on me to like make them perfect and all that. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think like starting in undergrad, I um, would be writing a lot of poems about my family and um, about racism. And I think it, you know, because that stuff was I didn't realize like, you know, being like, a young 20 something like how much that stuff hurt me but you know I was also like going through therapy and stuff or like trauma so like I did like finally have come to a point in my life where I could like talk about racism and I guess like talk about it so much that I would become almost desensitized to it I mean of course it would still like hurt but like at least I could like read my poems in public and in workshop and I wouldn't cry about it or anything mm -hmm. um so and then that kind of like trailed into undergrad too um i would say like most of my first book is about like processing like my childhood trauma um and i think the fact that i did start like writing about that um you know and about my family when i was in undergrad um it just directly related to um since that was the topic i was like really focused on at the time it did like carry into my work in grad school as well mm. do you think that your writing has allowed you to you know, obviously in conjunction with, with therapy, I believe that writing is such a powerful tool for atonement, for personal release, uh, especially given the circumstances that you are in. Do you feel like it has allowed you to look at things through maybe your, your family's perspective? Is this something that could potentially bring you closer to your family in certain ways, or are there still 
gaps that need to be reconciled in, in this journey? You know, it's funny you say that. Actually, it's not funny. Um, but like, um, so like throughout the book, like pretty much all throughout is about like the fighting um, and the aggression that would be between me and my mom. Um, you know, because like also being from Bangladesh and like, you know, her being like a first generation immigrant and like me as well. But like there was always like a lot of, um, you know, emphasis on like male dominated culture. So my mom kind of like would use that, um, you know, like the male dominated culture in Bangladesh kind of like trailed into like how she would parent. She mm-hmm. was like very violent and very aggressive. And also like even and I think that me and my brother both gotten to a point in our lives that we would both acknowledge this. But even though we lived in the same house, like our experiences were completely different growing up, mm. um, you know, especially because like he was only like two years older than me. But, um, you know, his existence and like whatever he thought was always validated and um, even like crying and stuff like that, I would be the one that would be told, oh, like you know, stop crying if like, you know, and whatever. And like my brother, he wouldn't get the same type of criticism. It's actually, maybe there's a little bit messy for me to talk about, but like, um, so my dad actually passed away on like January 2nd and oh. like, yeah, yeah. Oh, but I'm and so a lot of my, yeah, um, a lot of my poems are actually about him and stuff. Um, so I'm glad that, you know, I was at least able to like write those poems and share them with him before he passed. Um, and I do like to make my work accessible. So I'm glad that, you know, even though like English wasn't his first language, he was able to like, you know, um, it was accessible and he didn't like have any issues, like, you know, understanding like the memories I would be talking about and stuff. But anyway, so I brought that up because like one of the first things my mom said to me and like, I've never had like a significant loss in my life, but she was like, stop crying. And, um, obviously I did not respect, respond well to that. Um, and, you know, like all the stuff I learned in therapy, I was like, you know, don't like my feelings are valid. Like, don't tell me how to feel and all that. So anyway, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, all throughout the book, there's like a lot of tension between like me and, um, you know, my Bangli identity and my mom is a very big representation of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that conflict still persists into today, but it isn't like, but you know, and especially like since I like moved away for college and stuff like that, thankfully it's not like, physically violent but you know just like the way that we still speak to each other it is like pretty hostile um and the funny thing is um my mom actually read my entire book and like she is not portrayed very fondly in there because it's very um explicitly about like her abuse and violence and I thought that after she read the book that she would like be like oh why'd you say all that stuff and Mm. you know etc etc or like you know deny that it happened but instead she had like texted me and uh, like I was like um, out for a friend's wedding at the time. And she said, um, you know, I read your book and I'm sorry for what happened. Um, I'd like to start from new beginnings. Mm. Um, it won't be easy, but I'd, um, but at least we can try. Um, and I didn't like, okay, so, and I know this was mean, but I like my first response was just like, did you read my entire book? Because I like, but she's just like not a reader and stuff. Um, but like, I never, um, you know, um, if she wants to initiate that, then that would be on her behalf because that this was like months before like my dad passed and before she was like telling me stuff about like not to cry and all that. But like, mm. um, so like, even though like a lot of poems in my book are also just like coming to acceptance that me and my mom are never going to have like, you know, a very close relationship or like completely understand each other. And 
like I said, I accept that. Um, obviously, it's not like a very happy thing to accept. But mm-hmm. um, me and her, like, she's like almost 60 and I'm 30 now. And I, you know, uh, we could be respectful, I guess, towards one another. Um, but I know that like a lot of like American people I see um, have like close relationships, like daughters have close relationships with their moms and stuff. Um, and it's something I want to have like when I have kids and all that. But it, in terms of me and my mom, um, I... I'm glad she read my book, but I don't see it like making us closer. In any sure. Way. Sure. Well, I appreciate that honesty because it's so powerful. Uh, you having the work be a messenger to, to really pass on that information in a way that will reach this person that, uh, that you care a lot about, but at the same time has brought so much grief and hardship to, to your life is, is, such a difficult thing to try to overcome or make amends, but I want to thank you for that. While you you were talking, I was thinking about culturally, if you feel like, uh, and and please, you know, let me know if, if I'm going too far or pushing, because I totally understand this is very recent. Even the publication just came out, you know, at the end of, la- uh, was it a year ago? Was it about a year ago? Or was it uh, last year? What, my my yeah. book came out like in October, so it was okay. Like, yeah, okay. That's that's what I was thinking. So all of this is is really, you know, fresh in in your mind, you know, as as well as the other family happenings. But I'm curious what your thoughts are culturally on the Bengali culture and how much of that in your mind is to blame versus the individual. Is that something that that you can separate in terms of where to place that? I don't want to say blame because it just feels like it's it's a uh, a burden to carry culturally to feel like this this edict these these rules were passed on and now we have to carry them. Do you feel like there's more blame there or do you feel like it goes towards the person? I think that um like something that I like I'm trying to have empathy for my mom and for my dad, but like one thing I always have to remember is that they spent like the majority of their life in an entirely different country. Like even though we're Hindu, um, like they grew up in Bangladesh, which is like an Islamic country. So like they are like not okay with alcohol, even though like in India, like, you know, people who are Hindu like consume alcohol and stuff. Um, so I think a lot of it is just based on the time that they were born and i don't think that they because even with like the english language and stuff they still like struggle with it sometimes Mm -hmm. um so i think that um even though because i still think that a lot of the issues that my parents have you know with like you know acting like mental health isn't an issue or like you know prioritizing like males within the culture i still think that that's still very prevalent in bangladesh and um i and a lot of my friends, they also still experience that. And, you know, some of my American family members also experience that within their family. So um, I do think a lot of it has to do with culture. But I also think that my mom um, and both my dad, you know, um, they have like a lot of unresolved trauma since my mom used to be a gynecologist in Bangladesh. And she, mm. um, you know, when we came over here, um, it was actually because like she was like providing abortion to rape victims and then you mm. know she like um so we were like um under dangerous circumstances so that's why we had to leave but mm. um you know i think that that's still something that i'm trying to be sympathetic towards her as because i didn't 
find out that information until I was like 22. And like, you know, wow. that entire time before then, I just thought that she was like a very abusive individual. Um, and I would have placed probably a lot of the blame um, on the individual if I didn't learn that um, part about my mom, which I'm sure she had her reasons for not telling me, but it mm-hmm. would have changed. Like, I think a lot of like how I maybe probably even my writing as well, if I had like, um, you know, known that about my mom, even before I started like, you know, writing these poems for this book. Wow. Yeah, that that is incredible. Do you think that that is something that you will be digging into deeper with further collections? Uh, do you feel that that's something that obviously right now it it all seems fairly fresh in your mind, but with time, would that be something that you would explore further? Um, what I was like thinking about my second book and everything, because right now, um, like, I'm glad that I finished this book when I did, because now, like, you know, ever since, like, even within like a few months of it being published, like a lot of changes have occurred in my life. And I think that um, some people would like to think that there's like a happy ending between me and my mom after all this conflict in the book. And I think that even though she um, still bothers me, I do think with my dad passing, um, it's inevitably going to like, you know, change my work and also um, so change the content of my second book. But, um, you know, I still do try to have some empathy towards towards her um Mm because i don't think i had that skill when i was much younger and i don't think that i owed her that skill when i was younger um but now that i've you know done a lot of like work in therapy and all that i'm trying to come to acceptance with her so that like you know because with my dad like i just assumed he was the way he was and i didn't like try to like you know have these deeper conversations with him and i still don't think that my mom's fully capable of like having those conversations either because in the bengali culture like people don't talk about their emotions and like mm-hmm. stuff like that um but i at least like to i don't know i think like just for my own conscience i would like to think that i tried my best to understand her so that you know when you know me like i'm only getting older and she's only getting older um by the time she passes i'll have like a little bit more um you know i won't feel like as vacant inside since that's kind of how i feel right now even though my relationship with my dad was like much better than the one with my mom um but i do think that i don't know like there's a lot of stuff going on now like i'm sure within five years i'll probably have a better idea of like how my um second collection would turn out but yeah, i think like yeah. for right now i probably would just like write and like you know see like what comes together because that, that was kind of like what i did for like my first book i was still like writing about these really difficult topics but i didn't um you know think about them in the terms of a collection because i didn't want to like you know yeah it's too oh. too far down to really start start work but with that slight digression i want to talk a little bit more about about the collection and how how it came together specifically uh, in terms of getting the work out there, finding the the publication opportunities and just finding your footing actually more like as, as a poet in finding that identity. And uh, can you share a little bit about how you go from starting as a poet, finding that solid ground and then getting the work out there for this collection? So one thing that like, I wish I knew when I had first started grad school, um, So like, you know, like throughout undergrad, I would like be, you know, writing poems and stuff and like revising them a lot. But like there was no discussion of like undergrads ever like publishing work. So it's like I never thought about sending anything out. But then like when I was like 
you know, about to like enter grad school, I saw that like other people's bios, like in my program, they had already like published stuff. So mm-hmm. I like sent out a bunch of my work right before like, you know, starting grad school so that I would like also have like, you know, some publications and stuff like that. But I wish that like, um, the process of just like sending things out for publication was like, you know, spoken about when we were undergrads, because I think that um, undergrads have just as much talent than like, you know, a lot of the people I went to in grad school or like, you know, I just don't think like age is like a determining factor for like who can and can't publish. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's something I wish I knew because then maybe I would have been a little bit more um, selective with like where, um, you know, some of these poems that I um, were very, um, you know, important to me, maybe I would have like submitted them elsewhere if I had like a better idea of like, you know, which poems would reach people more or like, Mm -hmm. you know, online versus print. and then another thing is now like, um, and maybe I wouldn't have felt this way originally when I was like publishing my work, but I do think that um, if like people who do like, you know, know my work and stuff and have kept up with it over the years, like I think they're only able to do that because like if, if you were like online publications, because um, even with like print stuff, like if it's like someone, you know, like a friend whose work I really admire, it's not like I'm going to go out of my way to like buy like a print copy of like a journal um and it also seems like less accessible to do that and i also don't know about like you know i don't know enough about the world of like publishing but i do wonder whether like that would still be you know a method that people like through print publications whether that's something that um people will be using a lot to disseminate their work but um Mm -hmm. i think that one thing that um because like whenever i write a poem i don't want to like be too attached to it or um like, I, cause I already think that I revise a lot and like, I'm very difficult with like how I produce a draft even before, like I let others see it. So, um, but I do think like being in grad school, it taught me to like, you know, after I wrote something, what is, um, what's wrong with a poem or what can be improved, um, before I send it out. But I think that, um, I don't know, like if I, um, was just like starting out with my writing and everything, I would just tell myself to like just submit everywhere because I really do think that like I still don't know why some publications took my stuff versus others and Mm. I just think I wish that I'd known like you know that someone had told me these are the publications that like people really read and like (laughs) um that I should try to get my work into and stuff um so I don't know if I was younger I would just tell myself to like just submit everywhere because you really don't know and even when I like submitted my book for like you know the first book contest like it was like a few minutes before the deadline. I didn't think I was going to get it because like, um, you know, cause like they asked for like, I don't know, like, so I still have a resume in the form of a resume, but I asked for like a CV and I like did not have time in like a few minutes to like convert it. So I was just about to be like, yo, I like, they're not going to even consider this. Um, but yeah, I still submitted it anyway. And I'm glad that they picked my book, but yeah, I thought that yeah. because of that, like, you know, I, so I, I just think people should just submit everywhere. Like, cause you really never know. And just because like, um, some of your favorite, like, like Nate Marshall was also like one is still one of my favorite poets and like he had won the same prize. So that's why I was like, oh, whatever, they're not going to pick my stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you know, people should still submit to those journals or those contests that they're like favorite writers um, and poets submit to because you really never know. And I like would have never thought that, like I said, that I would win this prize or that like I would have like, you know, poems in the same issues as like some of my professors and all that. So, yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. And it's such a great reminder because we 
hold ourselves back a lot and we censor ourselves and we say, we're not there yet. We're not at that point. But there is something special about sending something out into the world and knowing that it's all a matter of taste and, and what these people are looking for. But I wanted to ask you of, you mentioned some of your favorite, you know, uh, you mentioned one of your favorite poets, but I'm curious what works inspired you when you were first getting into poetry, which poets did you latch on to, or did you feel were speaking to you more than others? Okay. So this is, um, something that I don't think people really like me a lot for, but like, I, like my favorite genre is creative nonfiction. It always has been. And mm. like, when I started writing poetry, it's because at UNC Chapel Hill, like, you know, um, so like I got rejected from advanced fiction twice and it really hurt my feelings. So I was just like, you know, I'm going to go for nonfiction. And um, it was during a time in my life when like, you know, a lot was going on and um, like I got validation from one of my um, creative writing professors that she wanted to, you know, see me keep writing and I wanted to keep writing, but like UNC Chapel Hill, like only had like a couple of like creative nonfiction classes at the time. Mm -hmm. So then I, um, you know, transferred my work into poetry and it would be like, you know, basically like, the same stories and everything, but I would just like, you know, learn how to condense my language and how to put it into line breaks that it would like, you know, constitute as poetry, even though sometimes I'll still send out work both that's like poetry and slash nonfiction. But, um, so like, I will say like a lot of my stuff was inspired by, um, you know, like creative nonfiction I was reading at the time. Um, like one of them is My Body is a Book of Rules by Alyssa Washuda. I've like bought like 10 copies of her book to like give to people over the years. Um, and she would like be writing about trauma and like all these other things. And it was just really um, inspiring for me. And then also like recently, um, like I just finished it today. Um, Julia Arce, she wrote this book about being like an undocumented immigrant. And then like um, she became like a Wall Street executive and it's called wow. My Underground American Dream really good i would um recommend that a lot and that's awesome um, yeah so it's like stuff like that like i said it's like creative nonfiction primarily that would like um inspire me to like yeah write poetry and it's still that way now like i still read like a lot more prose than poetry mm. no that's that's wonderful to hear you reminded me of something just now where i was thinking of of trauma and the way that it just permeates through it's the lens you know, that, that we get imprinted on when we're, when we're younger in so many ways. And, and for some of those experiences, I'm curious if you feel like when you, when you get a little bit further down the road, um, what do you think the world looks like beyond, uh, trauma creatively? Like if you had a, an ideal way of looking at the world that wouldn't be, I don't want to say tainted because it's part of who we are. It is, it is a bedrock of, you know, that we're building the pieces of our life. I'm curious what you think that, that vision of your work would be if, if you didn't have trauma to contend with, um, especially the, the very severe things that you've experienced. Um, so I'm not sure if I understood your question entirely, but I'll, I'll like, um, like, yeah, it's, I, I'm kind of riffing because I, I also feel like it's difficult to get outside of our out of our heads, um, especially when it comes to, to something like trauma. But what would you write about if, if trauma weren't in the way, if, if there were something else that you wanted to write about? You know, it's funny. Like sometimes I think about like how I would like, um, 
if like all these traumatic things didn't happen to me, how I would like approach my life and everything like that. Because mm -hmm. another trauma like that was out of my control was like 9-11 and like I didn't control that I wasn't born in the US or like the type of parents I had. Um, but sometimes I always wonder like if I did have like a healthy childhood um, because I originally wanted to be a psychiatrist at some point in my <laughs> life. But then I realized I had like too many problems to like, you know, even try to pretend I, like I could help other people. Um, and who knows, like maybe now I would like go back and do it after I've lived my life for some time. But um, if there weren't like, I really don't know if I would even be a writer if I didn't have trauma. And like, I'm not mm. saying that that's like something that like writers shouldn't be glorified for their trauma because or at least I can say I would have rather had like a healthy childhood and upbringing than like, you know, any awards and publications. Like I really think like it would have just made me a very different person. Um, I don't even know like what type of life I would have had. Um, so that's a difficult question. Like I said, if I maybe had no like issues before, maybe I'd mm -hmm. like want to be a psychiatrist, but then I also wanted to be a psychiatrist because I had like OCD and like all these other issues. So um, maybe I would have been a doctor like my parents had wanted me to be because they couldn't practice that in America. But um, then that would have like required me to also be like just very um, subservient to like all of their like cultural like requirements, all of that. So um, yeah. I don't know. I wish that like, um, so I guess I can only think about like what could come after my book. Like I would hope that kids like, you know, kids who were also like bullied or like, you know, experienced racism or like had a lot of violence at home or even like kids now who are, um, you know, queer and they're also like, you know, more of like outcast, like within like their school environments, you know, because like a lot of this is based on my childhood. I would hope that at least like it gives them like some type of solace moving forward because what I would have wanted was like some type of blueprint on like how to navigate the world. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but I don't know who I really don't know who I would have been if I or like if I would even be a writer if I hadn't like had any type of trauma. Because I think that was like something like a vehicle I used to like, I, I wouldn't say writing's cathartic because it was really like um, traumatizing writing this book. But mm. like, um, you know, like, I don't think I would have even turned to writing if I didn't have issues to work out. Mm. I ask because I, I ask myself that question very often, like, where, where would I be if I could get out of my own head? But that's, I don't know if there's, if there's like a, a futility in that exercise, if it's truly pointless, but I feel like it makes me, it helps me visualize, you know, what, what things could be and how we could make, make it better. But one of the incredible things that you've done, and I've had the pleasure of reading some of your work that you have linked on your website, especially the AOL poems, that series was so, so intense, but so beautiful and so honest because, you know, for one, that's my generation. It took me back to those moments of, of discovering the world in a, in a, in a place, in an environment that forbid you from from knowing the world you couldn't use your curiosity because it was it was something that you know might not have been acceptable but the way that you've wrote these poems i agree that you're helping people so much who are in that situation because you're giving us language but the way that you wrote those poems you know even for somebody like me who had similar experiences i felt like this could be the saving grace of somebody who could who was going through something like that uh, so i got to applaud you for that um, could you tell me a little bit about that, the, that series in particular, um, just about how that came about and how you built that series? Okay, so the reason I turned to that series was because it was like towards the end of my time in grad school. And if I'm being honest, like grad school made me like not like poetry. Um, 
because I already like creative nonfiction more, but even in like my thesis defense, I was just like, I wrote the AOL poems because I didn't really like poetry anymore. And I wanted mm. to like, you know, include like, um, you know, like some cool aspects of like even creative nonfiction that I really liked that I, you know, thought I could incorporate to my poems. And I think it was like right after AOL and Messenger went like defunct as like an entire, um, you know, form of communication. But I remember in that book, um, My Body is a Book of Rules, she had like a dating profile. Um, and I wanted to, and it just reminded me of like, you know, AOL instant messenger profiles and like how yeah. extra we were, but like how it also <laughs> had like a, a lot of, um, you know, elements of how we communicated back in the day. So that's why I um, include like an AOL instant messenger. And then um, I also like really liked when people use footnotes and like, like they're in like just like any they just looked like so smart to me and i was like <laughs> um, so i really wanted to do that and then like you know it reminded me of like dictionary entries um mm. and like acrostics ultimately okay i was really worried that like to be honest like a, a reason why i continued writing more aol and semester poems were because of like um my thesis advisors they actually like you know um they validate them. Like I was worried, like if I went to workshop, I would think people would think that I was like, you know, high or something like try to put all these <laughs> things together. So, um, but thankfully I wasn't in workshop that year, but um, I continued writing those poems. Like I said, because my professors, they were like, Oh, like, you know, we haven't seen anything like this. And they were like, actually like happy for me and stuff. Mm. And like I said, that was actually a really good thing. Cause um, at that point in my MFA, I didn't even really like writing anymore, like writing poetry anymore. So it really did. Um, and especially like, because it's kind of like a form, it almost makes it easier for me to like produce work that um, has that many restrictions in it. Um, so it really did help me get to the end of my book and just like want to keep writing um, because, you know, it was kind of fun for me. And it also forced me to like condense my language. Cause like, you know, when you're writing about trauma, you can like write about it for like a hundred pages, but um, because I had like the acrostics and um, you know, like the footnotes and everything, it made me um, become more selective in my details. Mm. So I imagine that really helped you get the collection to the finish line and, and get it out into the world. So now that the collection's been out for a couple of months, have you gotten a sense of the reception or, you know, the feedback of, of the work now that it's been out for a little bit? Okay. So there's another thing I wish I knew before I like put my um, book out. Like, so I didn't know that like you have to, like, I know prose writers are really cool and they have like their book tours and like all this other stuff. And, um, but like I didn't know that because um, what I found to be the best way is because like I didn't want my book just to be for like poets because I think they have like poets have a lot of like bougie like uh, other writers who like who like yeah, I yeah. find like I don't know what they're talking about but like you know they have those books already for them and I wanted to write something that was for like millennials like um for like you know other brown girls my age or just like um you know, not just people who were in the poetry world, because like I said, I was already like really upset or like bothered with that in grad school. And I just wanted to, my audience to be not just like people who like got their MFAs or something like that. So um, what I wish I knew is that like, I wish I had like reached out to like Instagram, like, um, you know, and like TikTok people who um, are like influencers for books and everything like that, because that was, um, a really good way that like other people became familiar with my book and um 
and you know like goodreads and like all those reviews like it's a lot easier when you like have um social media and it's still like a way sometimes when i see like an influence when i really like their reviews and like um you know the diversity that they try to promote it like um makes it a lot easier to promote your work when you know i just wish that i had known that before my book came out because um then i could have like you know we could have like sent the arcs like somewhere else yeah um because I thought like the only way people got reviews was like if like Publishers Weekly or like something like that. They also like never reviewed my book. And so I don't know if I ever would have like made it into like their hearts with like some type of review, but it's okay if they didn't think my book was poetic enough for them. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but even more than that, I do think it's really, um, it really does, um, you know, when like, people write to me and then they say like how much the book has like helped them or like um you know it I think that social media was definitely the best way for that um and like even like and some influencers who I reach out to like they were you know not like women of color but they still um you know like if they were like millennials or um they still like saw a lot of things in the book that they could still relate to um and I'm glad that they at least like still like you know, because not a lot of people don't know what it's like growing up as a millennial right after 9-11. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm glad that I was able to at least, like, convey um, something that they could, um, you know, at least could read and, like, have some insight onto what it felt like, even if that isn't their exact experience. Absolutely. I think that's one of the beautiful things that we have to work, you know, in our favor now is that you're customizing your community and your your going about it the right way now but it seems like a, it was a difficult learning experience to just get out into the world and say okay here's my book where do i go now so those were amazing points that you've that you've given us to to move forward and you know i hope you know that whoever's listening will will consider that and be empowered by the fact that we have the means to find our community now so uh that's that's really awesome stuff I got a couple more questions to be mindful of your time, but I really want to thank you for this. This has been amazing. And I really admire the work that you're doing and, and really look forward to the next collection as well. And to, to check this one out. But what do you think, um, what do you think is, is next on the immediate horizon for you in terms of, of works that you're developing right now or, or writing overall? So um, before my dad passed, I was working on like a series of poems that were kind of like, you know, had the same form as like the acrostics and all that. But I was like um, trying to do it like related to like some of my other interests. I don't want to like say right now because like I, I don't know if I'll like finish the entire series, you know, <laughs> but like, um, but, you know, because I still really like that form because it encouraged me to write. So like I think that it might show up in my next book, but with other topics. Um but I also think that for some time, like, I'll probably, like, be spending some time, um, you know, like I said, because I've never experienced, like, any loss before. Um, I think that I need, like, some time just to, like, process, like, mm. my dad's passing. And I think, because I do think ultimately a lot of my stuff is going to be about that as well. Um, so for now, I think that, because I also don't want to, like, avoid my problems. So, like, I don't want to, like, avoid writing about him because... Like, you know, I think like maybe after a couple of weeks, um, cause it did just happen like a couple of weeks ago. Like, I think I'm going to like at least start like, you know, even if it's just like journaling or like free writing. Um, cause a lot of times when I finish or like, you know, come to poems, it's like when I'm like randomly like writing, like 
you know, just about like any particular topic. And then um, I kind of see like where my thoughts go. So that like things that are um, similar, like in my free writing, they end up like, you know, um, into a poem. But so I do think like for now, like I probably will be spending like time um, just like, you know, talking about that, because like I said, I don't want to think that um, sometimes I think writing just for the sake of writing and having those, um, you know, like documentation of like things that you thought about at one point may be like more important than just producing them into something that could be published because um you know like I'm not gonna know what I felt like in this moment like um after my dad passed like I'm not gonna remember it like 10 years later like this exact moment because I'll probably like you know it's fucking painful like I'll probably like Mm -hmm. want to not think about it that much so I think like um my number one goal now will just to be like acknowledge my feelings and like write them down as much as I can because I know it's gonna end up in my second book yeah Well, lastly, I just want to ask you, what would you say to a young brown girl or a brown kid of color who is starting to figure out what it is that they're going to do in this world, what their place is in the world, who has so much uncertainty and and perhaps hardship around and trying to adjust to, to this American world or trying to fit into the parameters of, of their culture or society to, to move forward. What would you say to, to these young folks who are just starting out? So I know that this like, maybe like wouldn't make sense or like, um, but I kind of would hope that like, um, and okay. So this is okay. I kind of wish that they would like write to me or something because like, and even though like, I know it would like take a long time to reply to them because like, I just wish that there was like, you know, when I was in their position that there was at least like someone I knew that existed out there that could at least relate somewhat. Um, or like, you know, like maybe someday I'll be able to put together like some workshops for kids who Mm. like, you know, could use writing as a way to do that. But, um, but I think like probably if they are like going through similar things to what I was going through, um, even though the mental health, like, all those um, systems and like the guidance counselors at school was like very um, inadequate back in my day. I would like to hope that maybe that could be a good starting place for, um, or, you know, just to see if there is any way for them to get into therapy. And like, you know, they don't have to be like writers or anything like that. But I just think that having someone there to at least like listen to their problems, um, even if it's not like someone like me, um, just like, you know, finding someone who will at least, validate their feelings so that's a that's a excellent note to end on but um anurada i just really want to thank you for your honesty today and your strength uh for this incredible work that you're doing which is providing us again like i said a language for grief and and to to try to find a bit of comfort during difficult times and of course, I want to thank you for your time, especially during this very difficult time. And, you know, again, I'm really sorry for your loss. This has been, uh, you know, the timing is, was not ideal, but I really want to thank you for sharing a few minutes with me and, and, you know, sharing your story. Thank you again for being awesome. And I really wish you the best. Okay. Thanks again for talking to me and for being nice and stuff. So, yeah. Uh, no problem. Uh, I'll be in touch over the internet real soon and I'll get you an episode, but I hope you have a wonderful day and please take care. Okay, thanks, you too. Bye.